0: Great to see you this morning. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule to be with us and worship the Lord together. Again, I'm so glad that you are here. Um, Before we get going, there was just one more. Um, Barry had mentioned the outreach that we're doing at the end of August, August 24th. Um, There is is a sign up in the back on the table um, for you if you'd like to be involved this is not the... Uh, if you're part of the planning uh, committee on that, there will be a sign-up up in the fellowship hall, so you don't have to sign both. This is uh, for you if you want to be involved and be a part of that outreach. Um, you can sign up in the, on the round table in the back there, and we'll be getting in contact with you. Um, it's going to be just a family fun night where we're going to love on the community. We're going to be serving free food. We're going to be having some games for kids to play. And uh, so we just want to... Um, be on purpose of reaching out. You know, part of the vision and the mission of this church is obviously reach up to God first. Love God and love others. Jesus simplified this whole thing about the kingdom. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. And, uh, and, and, and he says this fulfills the law. And so we're going to have an opportunity to reach out to our neighbors in this community, in this region. And uh, again, if you'd like to be a part of that, I encourage you to sign up. And uh, so, leaders, uh, leaders that are part of the planning, you don't have to sign the one in the back. I'll I'll have a sign up for you, um, in the fellowship hall. So, got that out of the way. Uh, let's let's pray and get right into this. Father, in Jesus' name, I, I I just thank you, Lord, for your presence, Lord, that is here, that you're already been touching people and ministering to people, and Lord, that is just so awesome that you you love us, that you care about us, that you're mindful of us. And God, we just, uh, we once again give you this day. We give you our time together. We ask, God, that you would be seen, that Jesus, you would be lifted up. Jesus, be the hero of this story. Lord, we want you to be seen. We want you to be exalted. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate the word of God, that you would speak to our hearts, and that we we would be changed. We would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Jesus Christ, and in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to share my heart with you this morning. Um, the title of the sermon is Doing Life Together. Doing Life Together. Um, you know, the context of most things in Scripture is with the context of community, spiritual community, unity. I, a couple weeks ago I preached on, on the importance of, of, of unity. I've been sharing my heart's... My heart uh, with you. Not my hearts. So I have one. Um, I, I've been sharing my heart with you over the last few weeks, just about things that the Lord has been putting on my uh, in my spirit, in my heart. For I believe the, uh, the the time and the season that we're in. Last week I preached on times and seasons. Those hard times. You know the, the plowing, planting, watering, and, and and harvesting times of our of our lives individually as a church. Uh, we 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 face different times and seasons. I preached about unity a couple of weeks ago. Um, And and so I I, I just feel um, in my spirit to continue along with kind of tying some of these themes together called doing life together. Um, This doing life together, spiritual community, like, like unity, is not just a suggestion in Scripture. We are told to share life together. You know, all of Paul's letters to those churches and you've heard me say this before um, in different times, but when he wrote to the churches, he was writing not to the church in Ephesus, like, you know, this, this the Baptist group and the Pentecostal group and the, you know, he, did, he wrote to the church in Ephesus. It was a group of believers that were doing life together. Same thing with Philippi and Colossae, and, and he is speaking to them about doing life together, spiritual community, the context being spiritual community. And again, it's not just a suggestion. It is a command for us. And I think as we go along here today, you're going to see the importance of walking it out. But being a follower of Jesus is an adventure, isn't it? You know, I've heard people talk about, you know, that, it's, uh, that, that Christianity is for the, for the weak-minded. I'm thinking, have you ever tried to be a Christian for a while? It's tough. I mean, it's counterculture. You know, you're taking up your cross every day. There is nothing weak about it at all. It can be perceived as weak because you are dependent on Jesus. But I tell you, it is a walk of adventure and it is a journey. And we need each other on the journey. We need to walk in life with each other. I I love how practical God is. Sometimes we overcomplicate things when we look at scripture and we look at following Jesus and again he said love God and love others. Paul was saying to the Corinthian church he said let me let me boil this down for you because you know he's dealing with division in the church at the beginning he's dealing with some worldliness in the church and then that famous passage of scripture that stuck right there in, in 1 Corinthians 13 he said I tell you what it is if you don't get this you're not going to get anything else you need to love. You need to love. And he's not talking about just any kind of love. He's talking about self-sacrificial love. Love is patient, kind, it's gentle. It doesn't boast. It's not selfish. You need to love, and you need to love each other. Paul even says, you know what? You can have all kinds of spiritual things going on, and if you don't have love, it profits you nothing. He said, you can have faith that moves mountains. You can have knowledge, deep Like breaking down mysteries and and having all kinds of knowledge. And if you don't have love, it's nothing. You can have spiritual gifts, you can speak in tongues, you can prophesy. But if you don't have love, he said, if you don't get love figured out, all the other is meaningless. We deeply need love love for God, love for each other. And I want the church to be a place where we're loving each other and we're loving others. They will know that we are Christians by our love, not our knowledge. I mean, how many debates have you got in that you've won a person to your side? I'm just talking about debating. Good luck. It's rare. But I tell you what, if you love them and you value them as a human being, as a person that God created, that will disarm them. It's hard to debate when when somebody's loving you. We need to love each other. And I want this to be a place of of love. I want this to be a place of belonging. You know, uh, Tommy Barnett said it this way. Uh, He's the pastor of First Assembly of God in Phoenix, Arizona. He said, so so long the church is we wanted people to believe and then we let them belong. So we need to make the church a sense of you belong here. You belong with us. He said the believing will take care of itself. But it's almost like they have to fit within the mold and then we will embrace you. We need to begin to embrace. We need to pour out love. I modeled love this morning. Let me tell you a funny story. Um, I drove Taylor's car in early because we pray and we kind of get ready for, for the day. and. Uh, Athena was coming later to do worship and uh, so I'm heading home and uh, and I see a van It's exactly like ours and it's coming down the street here, and I'm convinced that it's Athena So I begin to wave I just waving 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 and then here's the bad, You know we we do this thing you know the I love you the sign language. I'm just going I love you I love and it's not Athena <laughs> And this person is looking at me like what in the world are you who are you If that's you, I do love you, um, but uh, probably not as weird as it looked. Um, Oh, it was hilarious. And I'm thinking, well, that person feels either really, really uh, awkward or they feel really loved. Maybe that made their day. I'm not sure. I love you. I love you. I love you. So I poured out some love today. (laughs) And then I just started laughing. I pulled around and there's our van in the driveway. So, uh... Maybe God ordained that. Who knows? You know, God's like, yeah. Somebody needs a little love today. Somebody's like, man, if somebody would just tell me that they love me, oh, wow. Thank you, God. But we do need each other, and we need to do life together. All of the parts of the body of Christ are important, and they work interdependent with each other. And that word interdependent means mutually dependent, depending on each other. In other words, we are dependent on each other's dependence. We need each other. We need you. We need you to function in the body of Christ in the place that God has for you. Again, the context of, when you see those, those passages of, of the unity in the body of Christ, the context was to do life together. The first church was to do life together. to live in spiritual community. What's the opposite of interdependence? It's fierce independence. I refuse to work with anyone else. I don't want to be told what to do. I'll just be over here. I'll do my own thing. I will be an island. But it's an island separated from mutual love, respect, and accountability. Brian Regan, the comedian, calls it Captain You Planet when it's all about you. And there's nobody else around. And I, I, I don't want anyone to speak into my life. I don't want any accountability. It's all about me. Sometimes we don't say it, but sometimes we do live it. And it's an easy trap for all of us to get into. It's an easy trap for me to get into. Especially when you're feeling a little frustrated, a little burned, it's just say, you know, I, I'm just going to isolate myself for a while. I'm just going to push everybody aside. Paul's analogy of us being a body, in a body you see the interdependence. It's, it's, it's when you have a project, you're going to do a project, you're going to build something, you're going to clean something, you're going to, what, whatever it is that you would do. You know, it starts in the head and the, the, the brain kind of fires off these Sparks! Doesn't that really sound uh, technological, you know, technological, you know, um, really brilliant. Um, it starts in the head and it goes down into the rest of the body. And if I'm going to build something, the brain works with the hand and the hand grabs the hammer. And within the hand, there are fingers that are doing the, the gripping. And then the arm does the pounding. And then there's muscles and there's bones that are working together for a common goal. And that's why Paul said our, the, the, the church is the body of Jesus Christ. It starts with a head. He is the head of the church. It's all about him. And then it flows from there. And he, he wanted us to get the analogy of it flows from him. And then we all have parts that we are, we are building the kingdom of God. It goes with action working together. All the parts are necessary. That's what 1 Corinthians 12. Every part of the body is necessary. And it's ridiculous to think that, you know, you're going to build a cabinet and your thumb goes independently rogue on you. It says, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not going to grab the hammer. And you just can't get your thumb. Imagine if all the parts of your physical body had their own little mind there and they could communicate. You know, the thumb says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm tired. You know, you hit me the last time we tried to do this, and you smacked my, you know, it didn't feel very good. And uh, I don't feel like working today. I don't feel, you know, the thumb, it's it's a ridiculous mindset to think that way because it is all instinctive, and you just do it. The brain passes the information to the rest of the body, and you do it, and they work together together. It's why when Paul was saying when one part of the body suffers, the other parts of the body minister to that part of the body. It's when you have a pain or an itch, and the other parts of the body work to the common good of those places. Recently, Athena and I have been, uh, we we watched a documentary on the Amish, Amish. it was kind of an intriguing thing. When, I, when we went down south for my brother-in-law's funeral, around the area where he grew up, there's, there is an Amish community there. And so it kind of, we saw him you know, riding the horse and buggy. And, and, and so we just kind of have been in, kind of interested, intrigued about it. And so we, we actually just recently watched a documentary on it. And I'm not saying that we should become Amish, so let me go ahead and clear that up. But there is something that we can learn from them The value of relationships that they that they have they they truly value others in their community and you've seen them they build together in fact this documentary talked about uh, uh, there was one place uh, there was one community they had a tornado go through and it removed a barn of one of the uh, one of the families within four days they had another barn up all the people and this is without cranes, and you understand, they, they, they're, very, they're very primitive, they don't, they don't Modern, modern conveniences are not a part of their lives. But here's what is a part of their lives. They just come out in mass to help people help each other. The barn's down, we're building the barn. And it just shows them they just lie. I mean, it's just a whole crew of hundreds. The barn's down, we go. We help build the barn when one part of the body suffers we we're, we're there we help everything that they do is on purpose they what they have in their community too is natural mentorship the kids are raised to be around the, the, the farm equipment to uh, you know they, they it's just a natural learning part of life it's to learn learn how to do how to do life together how to farm, how to sow, how to cook. Everything's mentoring. Everything's a part of the family and the community. Again, I'm not converting our church to being Amish. I'm saying, what can we learn from that? There is such a value in what they do. The value system is completely different. One thing is they're not so consumed with busyness. And we could learn a ton from that. See, things have changed. There's less of a value in relationships now. It's not that we don't love people and we don't love each other. I'm not saying that. It's just there has been kind of a a, a shift in culture where we don't value relationships like we once did. Because relationships are the key to doing life together. True relationships. I remember as a kid growing up, um, I had kind of a, it was kind of a double relationship blessing for me to see this in action. The first thing was my dad was a career Air Force man, and uh, so we moved all around the place, and there, there were some difficulties of that. You would never get settled. You know, it'd be two or three years, and then you move somewhere else. But where you were, there was a sense of community and belonging because you had, you had kind of a common thing going on. We are all military people, and we just had a commonality and, and a natural community. But the church also there was a sense of community and some of you are, are older folks that we can value, you know we can get value from them because they understand the value of relationship every sunday after church either people came over to our house or we went somewhere else my mom would would, would we would either be cleaning on saturday getting ready for sunday when people would come over or my mom would prepare a dish and, and we would put it in the car and go to church and we were going somewhere after church and the adults would sit and they would gather and talk and the kids would play and it was just a it was community you did life together and i remember you know just thinking back on those days the value of that i remember the group of friends that my mom and dad had um, in germany when we lived in germany and my mom and dad kind of um, hit some hard times. Um, my grandmother had passed away, and then we were experiencing some financial uh, challenges, and, and there was a group of friends that my mom and dad had that they ministered to their need because they knew about the need because they did life together. So a lot of times we don't know the needs because we have disconnected ourselves from meaningful relationships. We need to go back to that mindset of, of valuing Relationship, we, we have to place an element of value on it. And you know what? The thing that we're going to have to battle in this culture, we're going to have to battle busyness. Busyness keeps us from those things. And I'm not preaching just to you. I'm preaching to myself on this. Our fast-paced lives hinder life together. And busyness rules the day. There was an editorial cartoon recently, and it's this family around the dinner table, and they're all texting And the mom's looking around at everybody, and she goes, well, at least we're having a meal together. It's Kind of a sad truth in our society. Okay, how many folks that you text somebody from the other room? Be honest, come on. We're going there, we're going there, yeah. (laughs) Isaac's confession. We text people in the other room, text people upstairs, come down for dinner, you know. Of course, if you want to get your kids' attention, just text them course, then they might say, stop bugging me, you know, and now we're, now we're speaking without speaking. When I was also a kid, um, we went to different servicemen centers, churches, and one of the smaller ones we went to, um, this is just how they would value relationships, this is what they would do. Um, about once a month, they would have this kind of a newcomer's thing where if you were new in the last month, they would have you stand up. Come to the front, stand across, and then the whole church would go through and shake your hand. And they would sing this song called, I'm So Glad I'm a Part of the Family of God. Anybody remember that song, I'm So Glad I'm a Part of the Family of God? Yeah. And they would go through and you would shake everybody's hand. And some people were just cringing just the thought of that, just going, ugh, that just sounds very uncomfortable to me. But there was a sense of belonging. You know, we wanted people to feel like they belonged because there was a value in relationships. I'm not necessarily saying we have to go back to those things, but what can we learn from the value of relationships? We are made to need spiritual community and friendships. If you look at the first church, again, it was a part of the DNA of the church, and it needs to become a part of our DNA, and we need to get back to the sense of spiritual community. Here's the enemy's tactic, and it's obvious, is isolation. I talked about that a moment ago. Isolation. Here's what Peter says. He said, the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And if you've ever seen National Geographic and, uh, and, and you see these cats of prey, the way they hunt is that they, they don't just go running into the herd because they could get trampled to death. But they wait for their moment to isolate one of the animals away from the pack, and then it's hunt time. It's isolation and destruction. And Peter's saying, I mean, he was was tapping into this years and years and years ago of saying... You need to be careful because the enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He is out there. He's trying to devour us. And here's how the quickest way he can devour you is to isolate you from the the herd. Because when we stick together, and I preached about it in unity, when we are together, the enemy has less of a, a chance to get to us. And that's why the enemy spends his time trying to isolate us, trying to get us away from the pack. isolation comes when we get offended when we get hurt when we feel a little bit raw in that relationship that's why the enemy battles the church with division if i can get them split apart if i can get them to be mad at each other if i can get them to isolate themselves from one another that's the biggest part of the battle right there we we, now now they're ours He comes through that place of, again, of of division, offense, self-pity. Nobody cares about me, and then we isolate. Sometimes isolation comes with stubbornness, that independence, that fierce independence that we all wrestle with sometimes. But we need people in our lives. We need friendships. Not just friends, not just buddies, but deep spiritual friendships. We've got to move from just being friendly to lasting friendships. How do we do this? First, consistency. Most of the time we have good intentions of making this happen, but then it doesn't last. Have you ever been there like us? I'm just going to tell, tell on us again where you, you, get, you, you talk to somebody and we go, we've got to get together and have a meal. And then like a year and a half goes later and you finally have that meal. And then you always joke and say, well, let's not not wait another year and a half to do this. Have you ever been there? You said that? And then it's like another year and a half and you do it again? Consistency. All habits are formed through consistency. The more you do it, the more it becomes a part of your life, you just begin to do those things. Consistency is needed as we do life together. Sometimes we have to... Embrace Inconvenience. Sometimes it's not very convenient, but we need to make it happen. Battling busyness, wrestling against inconvenience, this is a part of us taking up our cross in our, in our world. And I'm not saying that there's not times that we don't need retreat, that we don't need sometimes, you know, just to be alone with God and be with your family. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, you, you know, I'm not talking about communal living where you know, you're just kind of like, you know, there's no boundaries. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Sometimes you do need the retreat. But consistency, regularly having times together, you see it in Scripture, and I'm going to show you in Scripture in a moment. But Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. And one of the reasons why some people feel lonely or isolated is there's a lack of consistency in relationships. Or the relationship is built on condition. What's in it for me? And that's why Paul implores us to love self-sacrificially. Philippians chapter 2, take on the same attitude that Christ had. Think of others before yourselves. Because if you put a bunch of conditions on a relationship, that's the first way that a relationship is going to break down very quickly. But in God's way, he wants us to be consistent, loving at all times, not just sometimes, not when it's just convenient, but at all times. Jesus even said, love those that despitefully use you. Love those that are hard to love. If, he said, if you just love those that are loving you back, which is great, that's just, that, that's, that's just sweetness right there. When you love people that love you back, when you, when you love people that don't love you back, that's the challenge, that's the, that's the hard part we're told to love at all times, unconditionally. And how do we do that? Is allowing Christ to love through us. We need consistent commitment through all sorts of situations and experiences. Spiritual community, two of the, the key foundation stones in this is repentance and forgiveness. They're cornerstones of friendship and spiritual community. Repentance and forgiveness. Because there's going to be opportunity for offense I promise if if you've not been offended that means you haven't been alive long enough it's going to happen I promise you it will happen but if we embrace the offense and we isolate ourselves again the enemy is right there and as a pastor if I have ever offended any of you forgive me forgive me I can tell you this My heart is never to intentionally offend anyone. But I am a human being. I'm prone to make mistakes. And we we have to understand this place of forgiveness and repentance. And so if I've ever offended you in any way, forgive me. Forgive me. We have to have, in this consistency, we have to have the mindset of covenant relationship instead of contract. A contract says, if you don't uphold your end, I'm out. I'm running the other way. And we just can't live like that. It'll never work. And so many times we treat relationships with that, especially because we are so busy, especially I don't even have time for this, so just stay away from me. So consistency. Secondly is mutual encouragement and support. How often do we need the deep friendship of another person? Mutual encouragement and support. Tina gave that passage from Ephesians as a part of her testimony of what she received at camp about you're not letting any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but encourage each other. Over and over, Paul says to the churches, you guys need to encourage each other, love each other, honor each other, encourage each other, love each other, honor each other. I mean, he says it over and over. Walk in humility. Walk in forgiveness. Over and over. We need to have this mutual encouragement and support. Sometimes sometimes I will need it from you. Sometimes you will need it from me. And that's why it's mutual. Sometimes you will need it from others. You will get the encouragement. Sometimes you need to be the encourager. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Encourage one another and build each other up. And this part of spiritual community, too, and the mutual, the mutual benefit for each other, I'm not talking about just in emergencies. And we should be there for, time, for each other in times of emergencies, but sometimes that's about, we, we rally around an emergency, which is great. I'm not saying that there's a bad thing in that, but I'm saying we need to, be, we need to live lives that are rallied around each other. And not just in emergencies. We need mutual encouragement, ongoing. And notice that, there were, that, that I said mutual. Some people in your life don't nudge your neighbor or your spouse, but they have a vacuum ministry, and they suck the life out of you. You know, and, and, and it is one way, and sometimes, you know, you're just trying to push yourself away from time, people like that, and, uh, and, and if they have a vacuum ministry, it is very difficult. Now, with that said, let me, let me go on a side note here. When I'm talking about spiritual community and love and relationship, mutual relationships, I am not talking about making people our idol or putting them in the place of Jesus. Sometimes we can idolize relationships, or we want that relationship to fill that void in my heart. That is an unhealthy thing. That is not mutual James Dobson wrote a book about boundaries a few years ago. Sometimes love has to have boundaries. Sometimes you, sometimes they need to be alone and wrestle with God. So this is just a side note. We do need mutual encouragement in, in relation to spiritual community, but it, some people, they will they leech onto you a, a, and, and they want you to be in the place of God. It'll never work. You can't be God for someone. Oswald Chambers, wrote a uh, devotional and 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 uh, you know the, my utmost for his highest and and in march there's this one about where sometimes we can become somebody's amateur providence he said be very careful when somebody's going through something and you try to step in and you overstepping your bounds he said lest they say on judgment day you got in the way of what god was trying to do in my life because sometimes god will orchestrate your circumstances because he's trying to get your attention And he says this, he said, some people, and it sounds, you hear the heartbeat behind it, but he said, some people, you need to pray that they get 10 times worse. And he's not trying to be harsh, but he's saying what they've done is they have an unhealthy draw to people. Instead, they need to go to God. They need an answer from heaven. They need to plug into Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who is the source of life. And so if people are looking to you to fill that void that only God can fill, it will be a frustrated relationship. And I'm not talking about that. That's why it's mutual. First we need Jesus, then we need each other. Mutual encouragement. Stu Weber from Focus on the Family, he wrote an article about the spiritual buddy system. Some of our older army people recognize that that term, buddy system. And the article looked back on the year 1967. The war in Vietnam was building to its peak, and one stop for young Army officers was the U.S. Army Ranger School at Fort Benning. These guys were the real deal. They were the ones that were right on the front line. Here's a portion of that article talking about this sense of spiritual community. A tough, battle-tested sergeant stood before the young, anxious recruits. The sergeant told them that the next nine weeks would be the toughest they ever had experienced. The sergeant said many wouldn't make the grade, it was just too tough. The sergeant talked about the war that was going on in Vietnam, and he talked about killing and death. He he talked about how training was tough because it was designed to save lives, the lives of the American soldiers. And he said he was going to do, do that by making them face their greatest fears, overcome their greatest weaknesses, and endure what they never dreamed possible. Then the sergeant announced that they were about to start with step one. There was a pause, and all the soldiers feared the worst about what step one might be. But they were surprised with its simplicity. He told the soldiers to find a buddy. This is step one, the sergeant growled. You need to find yourself a ranger buddy. You will stick together. You will never leave each other. You will encourage each other, and if necessary, you will carry each other. How powerful an illustration and a very biblical illustration is we need each other because we are in a fight. We are in a spiritual battle. Paul said this He said, You're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We need to be reminded that every day. When you have a sense that you're angered with someone, you need to pause as a believer and you just need to remind yourself Jesus, I'm not fighting against flesh and blood. But it's principalities, it's darkness, it's a spiritual war that we are in, and we need each other. Galatians 6, 2, Paul says this, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Earlier, he said loving would fulfill the law of Christ. Do you understand what he's talking about here? Self-sacrificial love fulfills the law of Christ. And again, in Philippians 2, each of you should look not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. We need spiritual friends, deep spiritual friends. We need to stick together, never leave each other, encourage each other, and fight together, and if necessary, carry each other. So we need consistency. We need a sense of mutual encouragement and support. And then lastly, we need authenticity. Authenticity means being real. Being honest, being genuine. It means being honest about who you are and how you feel. It means taking off our masks and our facades and being vulnerable and transparent with one another. Romans twelve three it says, Be honest in your evaluation of others and yourselves. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. And the church desperately needs this truth in the hour. We need some godly authenticity. We need honest transparency. And I'm, again, I'm not talking about with everyone. But I'm talking about a small community of deep spiritual friends that you trust. And that you have each other's back. People that will fight for you. Someone that you can call on. Someone that, that, that you know in a moment they would be there if you called them. And with this, we need to allow people to speak into our lives. And this is the place where the most offense can happen is when we, when we speak into someone's life and then they don't want to hear it and they get offended. And again, there's that isolation and we tear apart. We've got we've to stop this. In the Bible, you have Paul, it says that he rebuked in Galatians, it says he rebuked Peter to his face. These are two big hitters. And Peter was showing a little bit of favoritism, if you remember the story, and Paul came up to him and it says, he rebuked him to his face. You are wrong, my brother, you are wrong. And Peter didn't go, well, if you don't want to be my friend, I don't want to be your friend, and I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to go start my own church. I didn't want to be your apostle friend anyway. No, he just, we, we don't have whatever the exchange, but they loved each other. How many of us would survive as disciples of Jesus with some of the things that he said to them. And I I talked about this in unity, but you faithless generation, what spirit are you of? Looking at Peter and saying, you know, you have the mind of of, of, of the enemy more than the mind of God, even calling him, you you got the mind of the devil right now, Peter. And notice that they didn't just fold up and just run the other way and say, well, he hurt my feelings. And so I'm not going to have anything to do with him. I'm just going to run the other way and I'm going to do my own thing. And again, I'm not saying that you should allow every single person you know, in the church to speak into your life. I, you know, I'm, but you need to have people that you give them the permission. You say, I need someone to speak into my life. I need someone to challenge me. This is what keeps us humble because we don't know it all. And we need people to... To speak sometimes, and, 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 and you know, Proverbs calls it faithful are the wounds of a friend. But sometimes we just want to surround ourselves with people who just pat us on the back all the time and say, it's, You're okay. Well, sometimes we need somebody to shake us in the shoulder and say, You're not okay. You got some issues going on here, and I want to fight for you just as if somebody's in harm's way and you tackle them out of the way or they're about to get run over by a car and you tackle them. Well, that tackle doesn't seem very friendly. Would you do that? Why were you so harsh to me? I'm saving your life. And this is a part of that deep spiritual community. Again, it's it's about having some close people, close spiritual community. This is not everybody. This is saying I'm going to be accountable to some folks in my life. Even if it's hard, faithful are the wounds of a friend. As iron sharpens iron, you know, it's a clanking. It's sometimes we don't see eye to eye. Sometimes we have a disagreement. We have a dispute. But here's the thing is, I am going to value you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to encourage you, even if we don't see eye to eye. And I'm going to let love be the motivation of what I'm doing here. We have to have that in the church. And folks, it begins with us. We have to allow people to have that place, that permission in our lives. Authenticity. A lot of us spend a lot of time and energy trying to be something that we're not in the eyes of others. We try to impress people. Again, I'm not pointing at you. I'm pointing at me too. We pretend for fear of people seeing us for who we really are, and it can the fear of man and and the bible says the fear of man is a snare it is a trap and so the way we keep people kind of you know we don't want them to see who we really are we keep them at an arm's length and we keep them at a distance because if you get too close you might see some of my flaws and you might be disappointed in me recently the lord showed me this i was in prayer here early in the morning last week and I was just praying, God, show me, show me the things in my own heart. Show me where I offend you. Show me my brokenness. Show me where I need you. And it's amazing if you pray that, God will show you. And I was just, and, and, and it was a time of, it was a, you know, the correction of the Lord is beautiful, and it was a time of sweet correction, but he said, you know what, you, you have walked in a lot of times the fear of being a disappointment, I'm like, what in the world is that? He said, you know, you're you're you don't want to disappoint people. And so there's this fear of being a disappointment. And so what you do is you keep people at a safe distance. Not everybody. I have people that hold me accountable and I I meet with people, but it can just bleed over, and then it causes the fear of man. Man pleasing. We have a fear sometimes of being rejected. Fear of being thought less of. Fear that we might not know something. As a pastor, you know how, how many times I read... This is a Confessions of a Pastor. Can I I don't have to go to a psychiatrist. I just have you people to dump on every week. So This is therapeutic for me. I should get a couch and lay down and talk to you guys. But you know, as a pastor, especially when people come to you and they have issues and st- struggles and they... And I, I, I tell you, I'm like, I, I'm like, and I know somebody's coming. I'm like, Holy Spirit, give me some, give me the words, give me the passages. Sometimes I can point them in the right direction, but guess what? I don't know everything. And there's a collective gasp all of a sudden. <laughs> and you know how hard it is for me to say to someone, I don't know. Ah, oh, that kills me. but the Lord has been convicting me and saying guess what if you feel like you know everything then they think that you know everything you got a problem here but your job Junior is to point them to me he calls me Junior sometimes (laughs) our job is to glorify Jesus to point people to Jesus to show people Jesus because he has the answers for them trying to model authenticity for you today. See, the problem with that is is if you live like that, the problem is you at some point, you're going to disappoint. It's inevitable. Then it's just that crashing feeling, they're disappointed in you, you're disappointed that you weren't what they needed and, you know, and God is saying, "I, I set all this up. I wanted you to fail. So that you can understand that you're not drawing people to yourself That you're pointing people to me. You're pointing people to me. And that is our job as believers is to say, I want to point you to him, because he has the answers for your life. But we need to be honest, we need to be real. We're gonna let each other down. Engrave that in a stone in your yard if you want to. I'm going to fail people. People are going to disappoint me. I'm going to offend and I'm going to get offended. Mark it down. Relationship commandments, 101. But now, here's the thing in crisis. What am I going to do with those disappointments? What am I going to do with those times where I let people down or they let me down or I'm offended or I I am an offense? Now, what is my response to that? Because that is what Jesus is so interested in is what is your response? What is your heart response? How are you going to now respond to this? Well, I want to walk in forgiveness. I want to walk in repentance when I've blown it. I, I, you know, to say I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Sometimes that's so hard to say. But our response to it is so important. It's so key as believers. It's some real, genuine authenticity of saying, I blew it. I even love how Jesus modeled transparency for us. He has his closest friends. He's got the disciples who he's poured his life into. But you know, if you, if you whittle it down, he had those three. Peter, James, and John were kind of his very closest friends. These are the guys that he took up to the Mount of Transfiguration. These are the guys that he, you know, when he's groaning before he's arrested, that they, they are off to the side. He's asking them to pray and watch. But he had... He admitted to them that he was in need. Jesus himself, modeling transparency, the night before his crucifixion, knowing what was about to take place, listen to what he said. He looked at Peter, James, and John, and he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. It was a moment of authenticity and vulnerability in his heart because he was fully God, but he was fully man. He told them to watch and pray. Jesus was the real deal. And he went over and he was so agonized that he was sweating blood. I mean, his, the, 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 those blood vessels in his head were, I mean, he was straining and he was groaning and he was grieving because he knew outside of even the cross and the beating and the crown of thorns that he was going to take the sins and the shame of the world upon himself and he was going to bear our sin on himself. And in that moment, he gets very real with his friends, and he says, I am, I am grieved. I'm crushed to the point of death. Watch and pray with me. He needed those guys. So how does this translate to us, the model? We find in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to uh, close up with the, a couple of thoughts here. Beginning of Acts chapter 2, you have the, uh, the birthplace of the church. The Holy Spirit comes down in power. Comes into the upper room, fills them with the Spirit of God. Peter preaches after that. 3,000 people come to know Christ. At the end of chapter 2, it talks about, and even parts of your Bible might say the same thing. That it says, it says the believers form a community, spiritual community. And so here's what they did beyond that. It says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals together, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God, enjoying all the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Do you see a powerful truth unfolding there? The power of community. They met together. They were in one mind, one cord. They loved each other. Here's here's what was happening. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to knowing the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God for ourselves more than a sermon. Yes, I said it as a pastor. More than a prophetic word, more than an evangelist, more than a TV preacher, more than somebody else giving us their interpretation, we need to know the word of God for ourselves. We need to be digging in the word of God. I was so glad to hear that at camp, they were, ha- they were going through the book of Ephesians at camp. And how that applies to their lives, and you, and you heard the testimony from Tina, boom, a passage of scripture that stood out, and now she's not, more than just knowing it up here, it's, it's, it's taking root and it's transforming her. But we need to know the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God. We need to do the Word of God together. Talk about the Word of God. Challenge each other with the Word of God. It is filled with, with, with amazing truths, and it reveals Jesus. Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's cure for sinfulness. Verse 25, I lie in the dust. Revive me by your word. You want personal revival? Get in the word of God and let it wash over you. Verse 28, I weep with sorrow. Encourage me with your word. Do you need encouragement? The word of God. Verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want to know where to go? Get in the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So they were devoted to the Word of God and the teaching of the apostles. Number two, they were committed to fellowship. Now, we have that word, you know, that, that, that means like fellowship is just being friends, friendly. The word there is koinonia, and it, it is an intense form of fellowship. This is that word that says doing life together. It's more than just hanging out The central meaning of koinonia is is, is, the concepts conveyed are association, community, communion, joint participation, sharing, intimacy. This is life together. And they were committed to fellowship. They were committed to hospitality. It says that they shared meals with one another. Gives us permission to eat. Who doesn't like to do that? But hospitality... They would go from home to home. they would minister to each other and we're in your home one week and you're home the other week. And there's power in hospitality, sharing meals together. It opens up our hearts and, be, and, and it allows relationship to naturally flow. Again, I talked about how I grew up and just that sense of, of, of fellowship and, and, and sharing life together. And then lastly was they were committed to prayer and support, prayer and support. It says they shared everything they have. That is intense spiritual community. When uh, It's hard to know needs when, you're, when you don't have a spiritual community. And again, I'm not talking about this as just a broad sense of everyone, but having that group of people that you are having relationship with, you're having spiritual community with, and that you share things. Oh, you guys have a need? We're going to step in. We're going to minister. It's the body ministering to the body. Again, every part of the body is important. Sometimes we think, well, the staff should do that. Isn't that why the staff is paid? The answer to that is no. The leadership of the church equips the body to do the ministry to each other and to the world. And that's why when we're called the body of Christ, the body ministers to the body. That's why if I'm if I'm the teeth or if I'm the mouth of this body and I and I speak that doesn't make me more important than the hand because if this arm has an itch the other hand does it not this unless you're weird <laughs> You know if you're if you got a hangnail don't try to do that with your mouth that's awkward But we need each other the body ministers to the body this is powerful They rally around that part of the body. And we do life together. We're committed to it. When we were young married, I've shared this story before. When we were young married, um, we went to a a smaller church. It was a a lot of young families. And uh, I got laid off. They had a a downsizing thing at our our work, and I got laid off. And and it was just a really hard time. Athena was pregnant with Taylor. and and it It was one of those tough times of life. You know, and you're, you know you're, on, you're on Medicaid, and you're, you're doing all the stuff. And it was just, it, we were in a really tough time, but, but God was good, and he provided for us. And, you know, we didn't really share what our needs were, you know. I mean, we had that spiritual community, but, you know, you, we were just doing life together. And we had some several young couples that we had become very close to, and they, they just kind of knew what was going on just because of life. And we didn't, you know, you know we didn't just sit there and, 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 and just kind of, you know, have self-pity. We, we just said, you know, we have some needs and just pray for us. And one evening, we we're sitting there and there's a knock at the door. And uh, we open the door and there's about four young couples that come in with just, and they were just like an army with groceries. And they just came in, one bag after the next. And they, they had about $250 worth of groceries in 1991, 1990. <laughs> the dollar was a little more valuable back then. Just let me say <laughs> And they filled our cupboards with groceries and they just said we don't we love you guys and we just appreciate you and they surrounded us and they prayed for it. It was a very humbling thing. But it was very valuable. Sometimes what we say is we don't want people to fuss over us. We don't want to I don't want to let you know that I might have a need because it is it, somewhat humbling. And you know the word humble is it's humiliating, but that's okay. Because when, when you experience moments of humility, you become more like Christ. And it was hard to receive. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some people have a hard time receiving. Well, let me let let you off the hook. Receive. Let it be a blessing to the givers when they surround you. But we desperately need each other. This is how the first church, this is how they maintain spirituality and spiritual life together. And I love at the end, they were doing these things that was just a part of their lives and the Lord was adding to their numbers daily. People just came in, they saw their love for each other and they're like, what do you guys have? Well, it's a love for each other. Come on, we want, you to be, we want you to belong in spiritual community. But we have to make it a priority. We have to make it an investment and a commitment. We have to practice hospitality. We have to be consistent. We have to be mutual. We cannot let offense rule the day. Because that passage of Scripture that I open up with, if you came in late, it was from Romans. I've been meditating on this thing about love, and it says, don't owe anything else, anyone anything except the, to, to owe love for each other. And, he says, and Paul says, let me tell you how urgent this is. He said, the time is short. Night is almost done and and he's saying, we need to realize that time is short. We are in an urgent hour and we need each other. We need spiritual community. and We need to do life together. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, that even in your life you modeled this with your disciples. You did life together. You poured your life into those guys and Jesus, we even see sometimes where you were a bit frustrated with them and but you love them. And then, Lord, the birthplace of the church and, and they were doing life together and, Lord, I know that there was a sense sometimes of frustration even as we see Paul writing to them about getting along with each other and loving each other and working out their differences and honoring and caring. Lord, I pray that we would make this a priority in our lives, God, that we would begin to form spiritual communities. We would get involved in a spiritual community. We would share life, that we would do life together. Lord, we would build your kingdom and that the body would minister to the body. Lord, so that your kingdom will come on the earth. And Lord, as we love each other in this this place, I pray, God, that we would not forget that we are told to reach out to those that are lost, those who desperately need you. Jesus, thank you for modeling transparency when you were about to go to the cross. You were grieved and you were sweating drops of blood and and I can't even imagine what that was like. But Lord, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us to never forget that that is why we exist, that that is why we are here, that is why we serve you, is because of your sacrifice that you went to the cross for us. I pray that we would see each other through the lens of the cross. That we would never forget your sacrifice. Because the Lord, that is why we are here today is because you gave your life. And I pray, God, that in return we would give our lives to you. It's your service. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hope to see you this evening at the, uh, the picnic and pool party. If you can make it out, that'd be great. If you can make it just for one or the other, please come out. Bless you guys. Have an awesome day.